Welcome to Fueling the Revenue Engine. My name is Roz Greenfield, co-founder and chief enablement officer at Level 213. This podcast was created as a response to requests that we've gotten from the enablement community looking for resources to support them as they navigate this evolving landscape of enablement. As we look to the future of our profession, we believe that this is a great time to connect with other enablement leaders for discussions that take a closer look at relevant enablement topics. It's our hope that this podcast provides insight, guidance, and support to the go-to-market enablement and sales leadership community during both prosperous and challenging times alike. We're coming to you from San Francisco, California, where we are in the middle of figuring out what the impact of the coronavirus will be now and in the long term. For the immediate future, we are still under a shelter-in-place order here, which means that we're using conferencing technology instead of studio sessions to put this podcast together. As such, please excuse any fluctuations in our audio. Today, we're going to be talking about all things partner enablement. And I've really been looking forward to today's conversation for a few reasons. First of all, I feel like the topic of partner enablement has been coming up a lot in the conversations that I've been having with the sales enablement leaders I coach. Additionally, listeners of this podcast have reached out to request that we address this topic. And most importantly, we're fortunate to have one of the brightest minds in partner strategy as our guest today. So today we're joined by Lisa Lawson. She's a partnership consultant. Lisa has spent 15 years in SaaS sales and partnerships. During her career, she has worked at fast-growing startups like Optimizely, where I had the pleasure of working closely with Lisa. And she's also worked at large enterprises like Microsoft. So she really runs the gamut in what she's seen and what she's experienced and what she's worked through. And she takes that experience. And today, she consults with early SaaS startups, really helping them to design their partner strategy and their partner programs. She also runs a fantastic workshop for partner managers and executives through the Sassy Sales Management, which we'll talk a little bit about later on. So welcome, Lisa. How are you? Thank you. I'm, I'm so well. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I'm so excited to have this conversation um, and to hear all your wisdom and insight into partner strategy and how it impacts eventually enablement. Agreed. Yeah, I'm looking forward to today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So before we get started and really take this from the enabling perspective, I, I was hoping that you can maybe just define for us what is partnerships and why is it important in SaaS? Sure. Um, it's it, That's a very broad question. I could probably talk about that for just the next hour. <laughs> so I'll try to synthesize it. I think um, I'll start with the first question. Why is it important to SaaS? Um, so it's important in a, in a few ways. The first is the cost of traditional sales and marketing channels are getting much more expensive. Mm. Um, and because of that, SaaS companies and their investors are looking for ways to diversify risk um, mm. and partnerships specifically, you know, indirect sales channels is one way to really help your business scale, scale sales efficiency, scale CAC, scale your marketing initiatives, um, lead gen. Um, on the technology partner side, these partnerships are a way to scale your product initiatives um, or scale strategic business decisions, help you tap into new markets. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit why they're important. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the ecosystem effect. So, so they look at an example like a Salesforce and look at the Salesforce economy yeah. Um, and, and that is just one example of, of um, how the Salesforce economy has 
the, the Salesforce network of partners has helped Salesforce get so big sure. um, because they are the, the Salesforce partner network and ecosystem is out there influencing all of these, all of their customers and prospects. And, and they've just grown so much bigger over time because of it. Um, so that's a little bit about why it, why partnerships are important and why um, over the last even couple years, you've seen more and more SaaS companies turn to partnerships as an effective go-to-market strategy. Mm -hmm. That said, there's a lot of different types of partnerships. And one of the issues is that um, in the SaaS world, people refer to different types of partners in a lot of different ways. So I'll start with um, just a common, a couple common partner models. Mm -hmm. um, so there's the traditional kind of reseller model or, or people also call, refer to these as, as VARs, value added resellers. Um, that's typically a partner that will resell your solution and typically they also service the technology. So they um, provide services is on top of the technology. Then you have your referral partners. And this is when just, you know, a partner might just refer a lead to your business. And then you have a really wide range of services partners. So services partners are, are companies that provide services on top of your technology. Um, they might also refer leads to your company, but most of the time they're used to help your customers get more out of the technology. They're also referred to as systems integrators. This mm -hmm. might be a partner that specifically integrates your technology um, for, for your customers. They, they could, this could also be referred to as consultants, people who are providing like consulting services around your technology. Another term for this is managed services providers, yeah. MSPs. So someone that provides managed services on top of your technology. And SaaS companies might want services partners when they have a technology that needs implementation, that needs ongoing services in order for that customer to be successful. And then the last bucket of partners I typically talk about are technology partners. And again, there's a lot of different terms for this. Um, some people refer to them as ISV partners or technology partners, someone that makes and sells software that runs with your technology. Sometimes you have an app store model like Salesforce. And then another technology partner term would be OEM partners. So this mm -hmm. is someone that um, sells your technology under their brand. Yeah. So yeah, so that's just the really, you know, high level view of, of um, different types of partnerships that exist in SaaS today. Yeah, and there's so many, I mean, obviously you said so much and, and they can find out more about partnerships itself from some of your work, but the thoughts that go through my head is A, the today, the way the market is, we're no longer going to one provider for everything we want, the best of breed, and so technology partners really helps with that and it makes it sticky. I love your example of the Salesforce, uh, model because you know Salesforce is not the best technology in the world it's the partner ecosystem I think that makes it what it is and why you can't unplug it and there's so many partners on top of it to kind of fix the holes which is really interesting mm -hmm. and then I think my biggest lesson when I became a really big believer in in partnerships um, a for the stickiness of a product but b realizing the impact that it has on on demand gen it's tremendous and how it really impacts the direct sales model because with a partner model. And that was eye-opening to me when, when I saw numbers drop um, and I realized it was because our partnership, there was something going on on the partnership side of the house. 
it, it just changed the way I look at everything. And so partner enablement actually even became more important to me, um, which we'll get into. Before we kind of get into all that, you know, we're recording this during the aftermath or during the COVID pandemic. How does the current situation impact the importance of partnerships or is there anything different to that? And if so, you know, you mentioned several models. Is there one that's maybe most impactful or most successful if somebody has limited resources or limited bandwidth at a time like this, but are trying to survive? And we talked about, you talked about the scalability of this. But how does COVID impact partnership strategy? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think I, I mentioned a few reasons why SaaS leaders and their investors are looking to partners. Um, one of the big reasons is just to lower CAC, mm -hmm. especially now CAC is, is very important with remote working conditions and, um, you know, just the economy the way it is, you can lower your CAC by selling through expert channels. Mm. Um, so that it just doesn't, uh, once you get your partners trained and enabled, which is why we're talking about this today, it can be um, leveraging like a reseller or referral partner network can help you scale that. Yeah. Um, the second is, is again, you know, just diversifying where your leads are coming from. Yeah. The demand. Um, and then, you know, I think, yeah, lowering CAC and diversifying leads is, is really important. Um, the other is that the other thing is that everything is done online now. Yeah. And people are researching technologies, you know, at home on their sofa and, and they're listening to, you know, they're reading blogs, they're downloading content, they're, trying to understand what the market is doing. And so in the Salesforce example, Salesforce has literally thousands of partners that are out there in the world talking about how great Salesforce is. Um, that type of effect is, yeah. is very helpful when it's um, kind of a, a digital only world. Yeah, and I would imagine if you have a relationship with a, with a partner already, there's a tremendous amount of trust. And today, you're having to justify every single dollar you spend. So if you can get it from a trusted partner as a, you know, do, you know, implement this technology, it's probably an easier decision or an easier sell to a CFO, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, not. So yeah, really great points. So let's turn to partner enablement. Right? We talked about yeah. why it's important. Um, so what is partner enablement and why is it important? Good question, Roz. Um, so partner enablement, I, I am so excited we're having this conversation today um, because partner enablement is often overlooked when people are building partnerships. Um, oftentimes in, in SaaS startups, people, the, the leadership says, go build a partner network. And typically, you know, metrics might be number of sales deals closed or leads. Um, something sales related. Um, and, and I wish that metric would change because enabling partners from the beginning is the most important thing to building really long-term scalable partnerships. So what is it? So partner enablement is a critical part of the early part of the partner acquisition and, and management kind of process. And it's typically twofold. The first is enabling your partners to drive leads, drive interest, and ultimately sell your technology. Mm. So um, part of what you're, you're arming your own internal sales team, you have to enable your partners like you enable your internal sales team. The second thing you need to enable your partners on is the technical side of the house. So whether they are a services partner that's providing services on top of your technology, you need to really train and enable their, um, their team 
to use your technology, to be the best in the business to use your technology. So that technical training and enablement is important. The strategy of how to, how to implement your technology or how to provide services long-term is, is critical. Yeah, so the, those are the high-level buckets of, of what I think of when I think of partner enablement. Yeah, so you almost have to think of them as an extension of your internal team, just like you would train your salespeople, just like you would train your success people. So the, the salespeople would be equivalent to the partner selling, and the, the success people would be equivalent to the implementation and the support of it. You have to almost do the same thing for, or you have to do the same thing for the partner enablement. Um, and I can see the challenges there being that they don't work for your company, and they also have several other partners uh, or other companies that they're partnering with, and you want to make sure to you know to keep your technology straight and in front of mind. So how would so I can see how it's similar. How is it different, or how do you how what are some of the things that you should be thinking about? In if you say okay, there's similarities to internal enablement, but what 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 are some of the differences to uh, partner enablement? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so when I think of partner enablement, I think uh, the the biggest thing that's different is how can you train and enable. Um, this third party, you know, sales force or, or services force that you have in your partner network at scale. So, you know, what are the different types of, of technology really that's needed to train partners all over the world and make them as effective as your own internal sales team and as effective at providing services as your own internal team would be. Um, so I think of uh, uh, when it, when I think of how is it different, I think, you know, what types of like training tools do we need? What types of training do we need? Um, what is the ongoing enablement look like? Is it done through webinar? Is it done, you know, via videos in the partner portal? Like those are the things I think of uh, about how to, and, and you know what, maybe that's not that different these days in this kind of post COVID world we live in where internal enablement is also done virtually. Yeah. Um, maybe it's looking more and more similar. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So, so yeah, so I think that's how, that's how I think of the similarities and differences. Yeah. Is how do you enable a worldwide partner force? Yeah, that's very interesting to, to, to think about how COVID might have made it easier for enablement. And you said something that actually made me think of, like you talked about like worldwide, and, and it made me think that there's a lot of companies, there are certain regions of the world that tend to sell mainly through partners, like in APAC and areas like that. And so really using that as another strategy to enter another market without having to build a presence is, is another um, another thing. But then you also have to think about, you know, enabling in languages that they speak, you know, mm -hmm. language that they're comfortable with. And, you know, having, being someone that, that designs trainings for people around the world, like, you know, terminologies that you use might be different or, um, you know, expressions that may, may not make sense. So, you know, keeping all that in mind as you are, if you're leveraging them for, for your, your um, global workforce. So really interesting things. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, ongoing enablement. I have some questions about that and, and the technology in a minute. Um, but before we get there, so we understand why it's important what does it look like? What does a good partner enablement look like? And really what needs to be in place in a partner program to make partner enablement successful or impactful? Yeah, <clears throat> good question. Um, so first I would say, you know, the type of enablement you provide partners does vary based on what the partnership looks like and the goals of the partnership. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you're working with resellers, you really need to enable them on how to sell your technology and service it without your support, without your company's support. There might not need to be as much ongoing enablement. 
Um, if you're working with services partners, for example, and they're doing implementation services or ongoing uh, services, there might be, again, a bunch of upfront enablement you have to do, and then ongoing enablement that really centers more around best practices, tips and tricks, training on new features that your company comes out with. So you'll need to think about what that ongoing training looks like. And then I think the other thing that needs to be in place to make partner enablement impactful is thinking through both how to scale enablement and how to prioritize enablement. Because as you know, Roz, you know, the enablement team internally is, is probably not huge and nope. you have a lot of competing priorities. Yep. So um, just like anything, there's going to be higher partner priorities and lower partner priorities. And then, you know, thinking through how you can use a partner portal or a certification program to get partners in the door, um, make sure they're committed, get them trained on some base level terminology and, and functionality within your, your product. Um, and then, you know, what does white glove enablement look like for top, top partners that are going to really help you scale your efforts? And then, you know, do you want to offer paid enablement? Often paid enablement, especially at the beginning, is a good way to weed out people who aren't really that interested. Mm. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of things to think about when prioritizing how you're going to do enablement and who you're going to give the best enablement to. So is, it, is the prioritization in terms of the importance of the partnership and, and the, the return you think you'll get on this partnership, is that how you're prioritizing or the long-term impact or the reach that they have? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it goes back to your company's goals. If you're, you know, if one of your top company's goals is to lower CAC or, you know, drive leads, um, then, you know, just like anything, the, the partner team and the, and the enablement team need to focus on the partners that can help sure. the company get there faster yeah. and, and um, better. I love that point. Like go back to what is your objective here, right? What are you really trying to accomplish? Because they're going to be in every, in any partnership program that I've experienced, there are partners that are super duper invested, super duper, um, you know, referring you and integrating. And then there are some partners that like, they want to check the box and say that they have a partnership with you. And so, you know, who are you going to really spend your investment on? And, you know, I, I, your point of enablement is a few too many and then sometimes a one too many function. So you need to really be prioritization becomes very important. And I wonder when you talk about, paid enablement, I love the point that it will weed out the ones that aren't really serious, but at the same time, if you could have a paid enablement model, it may, it may take, give you the funds to hire someone on the enabling team to focus on partner enablement. So again, if that's in the cards, that might make sense if, if it also makes sense for your partnership strategy. So you mentioned, you know, ongoing enablement for partners, and that's something that in enablement we think about a lot, even for our internal people, like it's one thing to, 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 uh, enable somebody when they join the company on the product and the services and the and and all the info the space and the information that they need but then there's like ongoing competitive intel there's ongoing product updates you could pivot your message i see you know during you know the the aftermath of covid a lot of companies pivoted their message and it, it's a struggle internally to keep everybody up to date and so it has to be harder to do that with partners, especially with partners that may have several partners that they have to keep up, up with. So what's the best way to think about ongoing enablement for a partner enablement program? I like to think of partner enablement as, okay, what, what are the things my own internal enablement team has identified as the top priorities for training the internal mm. go-to-market teams on? Mm -hmm. And then 
from that, what are the top things I need to train my partners on? Invite our top partners to some of that training and just have them there in person to hear it. Or how can we repurpose some of that training, put it online, uh, provide it in video format, um, put it into our partner portal, or host a webinar where we give the, the high level what you need to know from our own internal sales kickoff. Mm. Um, if there are major trainings every quarter, how can I repurpose what the en enablement team has already put together and distribute that to partners, um, again, in different formats, email formats, newsletter formats, in video format in the partner portal, um, in new sales decks, sales collateral. So just thinking about what the internal team has deemed important for the sales team to learn and then how do I get that in the hands of my partners in different ways. Yeah, and I, I, I love that you brought up having on the, let's say, you know, make, you're leveraging what you're, what you're training your, your internal team on. And I can think of many times when you and I were working together, when our partners were in the room, when we were doing a product update or at SKO, they were always there. Um, mm -hmm. A, it helps to build the relationship between the sales team and the partner team or the success team and the partner team, but it also give, keeps them up to date. You just want to be thinking through, is there anything you're going to be covering that you don't want outside people to hear? And I'm thinking of like, you know, there were SKOs where we were like, Partners can be here for this and not for that, right? And, and yeah. the partners understood that. Like there are going to be some sessions that are internal only. And there are some sessions that, yeah, we, we actually want you to be there and, and, mm -hmm. and be a part of it. So really thinking through it because, you know, the, the one-to-many uh, scenario of enablement is, is a real challenge, especially in very dynamic changing times that we live in today. But being also able to leverage the things that you're doing internally to, to um, spill over into partner enablement is really is really um important. So thanks for, for uh, walking through that. So, you know, I mentioned at the start of this, like, uh, you know, I'm having a lot of conversations with my clients about partner enablement, and I see a lot of teams taking that on. Uh, whereas in the past, it, I, I, I've seen it be either a separate group or someone in the partnership team. And now a lot of, a lot of people um, working enablement are also taking that responsibility. And, and that makes you know, the, the, the necessity of really having a good enablement partnership with the people on the partnership team and enablement is very much a liaison partner function to begin with. But what are some of the things that you think are important for uh, that partnership between enablement and partnerships to be strong, to be able to make the enablement effective? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, one of the reasons I love working in partnerships is that it is so cross-functional. You, you really have to have a strong partnership with sales, with marketing, with product, with enablement, with operations. Um, these relationships are so critical to your success. Um, so with partnerships, you know, I think there's, there's a couple things. Before the enablement team can internally can start supporting partners, I think the enablement team needs to educate their own internal organization about the importance of partnerships and how to work with partners. And I say that because I've worked with so many Early, earlier stage SaaS companies where their sales team may never have worked with partners before. Mm -hmm. um, it could be a, a relatively young sales team, or it could be a sales team that has worked with more traditional partner models like VARs, but they mm -hmm. might not have ever worked with say a Salesforce, um, like ISV partner, for example. Yeah. And so the first thing I think um, I would do if I were the new head of partnerships at a company working with a sales or an enablement team is I would sit down and try to draft um, an enablement plan to support the internal org mm. to learn about 
the importance of the partnerships they have, the partnerships they're trying to build, and how to work with those partners best. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, because without that, without your sales team, your customer success team really bought into the strategy, you can enable partners all day long, but without, bought, without your AEs and CSMs being bought in, those partnerships might not be successful. Yeah, but and I've seen that. It's really interesting because I, I have worked, I think salespeople, salespeople are sometimes threatened by partners, which mm -hmm. they shouldn't be. They're also afraid to bring complexity into their deals and bringing in another third party. Again, if they don't really understand the value of enablement, I'm sorry, the value of partnerships, they're not going to realize it's going to make the, the, the buyer more successful or more sticky. It often adds to the cost of the solution, right? And, and some uh, people don't realize, some salespeople don't realize that that's actually in the long run better for the buyer. So there's a lot of, or I just don't know how to do it. And it's interesting mm -hmm. to also, you know, you, you mentioned it, you know, people that are newer in their sales career or smaller companies. I've worked at really like yourself. I worked at smaller companies, worked at larger companies. And I worked at Oracle. We wanted to sell with partners because it was just easier, right? You just press the button and Oracle uh, wanted us to sell with partners. It's cheaper for them that way. But, you know, then I went to Optimizely and they were scared shitless of selling with a partner, <laughs> right? And we, you know, you and I worked very hard together to try. And I don't know if we, completely got there, but it was like, get the team comfortable with how to co-sell. So I think that's a really important point that you're making is you have to have that partnership and the partnership goes sales, success, organization wide in order for it to really be successful and really understand how to co-sell, how to um, bring a partner in at the right time and, and mm -hmm. make the salespeople and the success people comfortable with what might look like a third party or an additional cog in your, in your process and, and cycle but in the long run is much more beneficial. <clears throat> and I think it goes back to what you were saying before, like what's the priorities for the company? Everyone has to be aligned on that. And if we mm -hmm. understand what, what, the, what the company is trying to accomplish with these partnerships, then as a salesperson, how am I involved? As a success person, as a, how am I involved? As a partnership person, how am I involved? Okay, now let's enable that. So I, I very, very much resonates with me what you're saying. Yeah, so I think once you've um, you know, figured out how to get sales and success bought into the strategy, understanding how to work with your partners best. Um, and then you figured out how to provide that training, you know, in any type of, of onboarding for sales and success. I think the next important thing is to figure out how you're going to have scaled enablement for partners. So what does that look like putting video training or certification within the, the partner portal? Um, and then what does it look like for your top partners to really enable them? What are those two strategies? And then um, my advice is just don't try to do it all. Mm. Just do what's, what's going to move the needle and mm. don't worry about the rest of it because you're never going to fully enable your partners end to end like you can your internal teams. So just focus on the most important things. That's an interesting point. How do you, and I think enablement has to be thinking that in general now because of, I think we all have to be thinking that enable, in general, but I think COVID has taught us to be a lot more agile or forced us to be a lot more agile. How do you know when you've done enough for, for partnerships? What are some of the metrics maybe, or what are some of the indications that you've gotten to, it's good enough and, and you don't have to worry more or you know, bang your head against the wall more? <laughs> um, when you've gotten to good enough. Um, you know, I, I do think having certain like certifications is, mm -hmm. it's, it's not a perfect system, but having, you know, your base level certification, and then maybe you have like the next two levels, the expert and pro certifications. Yeah. That's one way um, of just kind of drawing a, you know, a line in the sand. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, going back to your core metrics, are you hitting your core metrics? 
If yes, then that's good enough. If no, figure out why not. Is it a, a sales problem? Is it a technical enablement problem? Is it, you know, what is the issue? And then how can you solve it? Um, but you're all, you will always have partners saying they need more training on X, Y, or Z. So you have to figure out, is this, you know, an isolated complaint from this partner or, or request, or are we seeing this across the board? And if we do something about it, will it move the needle? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Is it coming from one very vocal or, or client that's, or partner that's, that's struggling, or are you hearing it? And I think it's similar in enablement, right? And this is where you see the similarities. One, one salesperson says they need training on a competitor, or is it really showing up in a lot of deals? So that's a really good, I think, way to, to judge what, what's really needed. So yeah, that's, that's a really great point. So you brought up the co-selling part or the sales and the success team really being bought in. And that's something that I've struggled with a lot. A lot of people that I work with, I know you and I, um, when we were working together, really tried to work through how do you bring that salesperson that's either not used to selling with a partner or more junior in their sales career and just frankly afraid of adding another complexity into their deal or afraid of the paperwork or, or that, that's involved in partnerships or making my deal you know, more expensive. How do, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way or that you guide your clients today to get the sales and so the success teams to be not only comfortable, but embracing this partnership um, and not um, using some of their maybe inexperience or insecurities to get in the way. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is, this is so critical because gaining internal buy-in is so critical to your long-term success. And um, so, so that looks, you know, that's important in a few ways. Number one, your leadership team needs to be completely bought in and there needs to be CEO, CRO, C-level mm. executive um, that, that is really championing the partner strategy um, mm -hmm. because it does, it starts at the top. So you need, um, you need the, the leadership team to create internal advocates that trickles down. So there need to be company-wide OKRs around partnerships that are regularly reported on so that the sales team, the customer success team, the product team understands the importance. Yeah. Um, you need to evangelize partner wins regularly, loudly, and often, um, you know, take, an a, a deal, an AE who is, is a, a rock star AE that everyone looks up to, a partner deal that he or she has won, and just talk about it. Talk about the story over and over and over again until everybody can recite why this person won this deal, um, mm -hmm. why it's good for the business, why it's good for the company, and why it's good for them as, as shareholders in the company. Um, it just takes, you know, just evangelizing those wins over and over again. Yeah, that's interesting because we do um, an enablement. It's a very big part of our function is to do uh, deal reviews and tear, deal teardowns. But I don't know that I would have, and I, I would usually look at it when I'm, when I'm planning some, something like this. I would think, okay, do we have it in from the different verticals? Do we have it from the different segments? But I will admit here, I don't, I don't go, do we have one from partnerships? And I think that that's something that I will add in as a result of this conversation that we need to have those, those because we know in enablement how important those uh, deal reviews are. And, but making sure that we're also doing it for enablement because it's part of, of sending that message across that mm -hmm. this, is, this is part of our sales motion and it's just another segment of our sales motion and we need to review that and make everybody comfortable with that the same way. And then obviously, yeah, the, the shared OKRs, I think, is a, you know, if, it, if, it, if it matters to my OKRs, it matters to me. So I, I, that's, that's a great tip for yeah Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, it, it's a good point. I, I always recommend like partners, the partner team, and then the actual humans, human partners 
need a seat at the table for these key internal events. So, so pipeline reviews, global pipeline reviews, partnerships needs to be in that meeting talking about how the partner is involved or not involved. At kickoffs, global kickoffs, trainings, maybe, you know, maybe partners are there or, or there is a partner section specifically that you're training the internal teams on. Um, or you bring in a partner to help the sales and success teams understand their side of it. They're the, you know, how, what they're doing, what their business looks like. Um, so again, I think you're exactly, you're spot on. If enablement can think through how can, how do I um, embrace and show the importance of partners in whatever training you're doing, that will really help bring them into the organization. And then, like I said, the, the human side of it is so important. Um, just getting the AEs in front of the, or getting the partners in front of your AEs and CSMs for in, in-person or, you know, Zoom in-person meetings and making sure that the human, the human to human element is, um, that there are actual relationships being built between these, these people that will help AEs and CSMs feel so much more comfortable bringing them into deals. Yeah, which is like in any other sales, right? People buy from people, people do business with people. Selling is human. And so I think that's that's the point you're making. And it's about that relationship and looking out for each other, which um, I think is a key thing to remember. Um, and having the partners feel comfortable with the salespeople, because again, they sometimes have to bring you in on a call, right? And they have... Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, give a, as extension of my brand, bring you into the equation. But also just having that relationship. And it's funny as you're saying it, I'm thinking like that's what a partnership is, right? It's like mm-hmm. we forget that as a partnership is a shake of a hand. We're doing something together, and we sometimes feel like it's us and them, and it can't be. It's us. It's we. Right. And so that's, yeah. a, that's an interesting way to look at it. You've mentioned a few times a partner portal. What technologies do you recommend for a partner enablement program? Do you need special technologies? And if not, what internal technologies do you usually see companies uh, leverage? And obviously, I know that there are some things that, you know, there, there is, they are still external people. So there's some things that you may not want them uh, to have access to that are internal. But what are some of these, what is a partner portal? What are some of the technologies that you recommend that should be part of this enablement tech stack? Yeah. So a partner portal is you know, a, a digital portal that uh, that should connect with your CRM system internally. Um, it's a place for partners to register leads and deals to, to um, that also syncs with, with your Salesforce or your CRM system so that the partner can, the partner and the AEE can, can see updates on deals um, both ways. It's, it's a place to, it's a place partners can go for all of their um, like content needs within your organization, training needs within training for for themselves to get enabled and it's a communication portal that helps scale all communication between your organization and and the partner manager and and the partner there's a lot of prms out there salesforce has 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 a pretty lightweight one um companies like allbound have partner portals so there's there's a few on the market that are that are pretty common the thing that i that if you're a really early stage company the the question i would ask is like are you ready for a partner portal meaning partner portals are only as good as the content that goes into them and mm-hmm. so if you don't have a strong enablement plan and strong content yet you need to figure out a plan to get those in place before you should invest in building a partner portal okay so so really thinking through making sure you have the content right to give a partner have you seen companies leverage internal tools if they're not ready for a PRM or don't have the funds for a PRM or, or, or the bandwidth for the PRM? Um, have you seen them leverage the same internal tools? And if so, what are some of the things that they think about when they're giving access to a partner 
uh, to their internal enablement tools. Yeah. So I think every company I've ever worked at, we've just leveraged whatever internal tools in trainings were already available and modified them to, to work for our partner's needs. Um, so if our internal team used, you know, sales hood and high spot and, and whatever, we would just, or whatever certification tool, we would just use those and mm. repurpose whatever content is available in them to be partner focused and, and partners partner ready. Yeah, and I'm thinking if you're in enablement, um, you may want, you know, just like you may take a training and, and adjust it for the different roles like the SDR and the AE, I would also make a partner version, right? Because there may be some things you want to take out, but you're, it, you, you build off of your, your initial thing. And then, you know, you have to talk about then how, you know, do you, do you have to have seats for the partner in your learning management or knowledge management and how does that work in? And, and again, if it goes back to the priorities of, of the company. You mentioned maybe having a part, a paid partnership program. Um, how, how, does, how does someone usually structure that and how does something like that work? Like a paid enablement program? Yeah, paid enablement. Yeah, so, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it a couple of different ways. I've seen it and, it, and it goes back to like, how in depth do your partner, what type of training do your partners need? Um, is it, you know, a five day training for hundreds of people that you need to go on site and give that training? Is it, you know, just one seller? Is it a small organization where one seller needs to know your, how to sell your product and, you know, a couple technical folks need to know how to use the tool. So it depends on the type of training your partners need. And then it depends on your types of partners, right? In some cases, you might want to give away the training like for free in order to get a big name in the door. In mm. other scenarios, if you have hundreds of partners wanting to partner with you, then you know make it a paid training um, just to to make sure that they're committed. Yeah. Um, so it really it just goes back. It just really depends on the situation. Um, but absolutely, have seen different types of paid training models work really well. Yeah, and I would think, you know, from an enablement people listening to this, like that's where maybe you work with your partnership leadership and your uh, executive leadership to figure out what's going to be, get our partners most invested, but also give them the best enablement that's, that's um, going to be good enough to make this actually work. So that's, that's an interesting thing to think about. And again, does it give you the ability to have a little bit more bandwidth on your, on your um, enablement side of the house? This was really, really insightful. I learned so much and I thought I knew everything. Um, having worked with you for a while, but I learned so much just having this conversation. You, in when I introduced you, I mentioned that you run a workshop for partner managers and executives through the Sassy Sales Management, which I know people that have gone to and just raved about. Can you tell me, tell us more about that and how someone maybe can learn more about it if they're interested in attending or sending somebody? Because I think a lot of enablement people are sometimes looking to. They're they're responsible to enable their you know the partnership team when they come on board. So what what, what can we what can you tell us about this program or this workshop? Sure. Yes. So sassy sassy sales management is um, a, a workshop company that provides workshops for SaaS managers and individual contributors across the go to market organization. So sassy offers trainings to um, VPs of sales sales managers. Sales and sales engineering, sales ops, channel partnerships, um, sales enablement, and the workshops I run are I have two. One is for partner managers who are new to role 
and looking to um, accelerate their success. Um, I, I'm very passionate about this one because there's really no other role-based partner manager training available. Um, and it's so important for new partner managers to, to learn how to do these things right from the beginning instead of just trial and error on their own. And yeah, and I love it as an enablement person because if I am responsible for enabling the entire workforce and a part of it is partners, the, the new partner managers that are coming in, I just don't have the balance to build out a specific partner enablement program. I can train them on the main components of our company, but then send them to your workshop, right? And so that's exactly. a tremendous yep. benefit for, for people in enablement. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. The second workshop I have is for leaders at small startups to help them figure out and identify what their partner strategy should be, who their target partners are, um, and what does that go-to-market plan look like? Mm, so all the stuff that we started talking about earlier on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and if they want to attend, do they just go to sales, Sassy Sales Management to learn Yep, more? exactly. Excellent. Good. I, I really highly endorse Sassy Sales Management in general. My friend Misha runs the um, enablement workshops. They're fantastic and definitely get your people into the, the, uh, the partnership ones. And especially if you're trying to figure out your strategy, um, the leadership should go to that. So thank you so much, Lisa. I'm so glad that we got to talk, to have this talk. And I'm really you know, reminded of making sure everybody's on the same page. It's a true partnership and the prioritization being the, the keys. Um, and then really focusing on how do I enable my team, my internal team to work well with the partners while I'm also giving the partnerships what they need. So really, really insightful things. Before we close, I've been asking this question to everybody that I've been speaking with during these uh, podcast episodes. What's one thing, professional, not professional, in life in general, that you think will change for the better as a result of our current pandemic situation? It's a good question. Um, I'd love to hear everyone else's answers. <laughs> I think on the professional okay. side, what? So listen to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. I think for, for my profession being channel and partnerships, one thing that I think will change for the better is that companies, um, companies seem to really be embracing this idea of diversifying risk through mm -hmm. a, a third channel, meaning yeah. the, the, the partner channel. Yeah. And I'm so excited for that. So it's exciting to me to think that you know, more SaaS startups and more SaaS companies in general will um, see, view the channel as a very important yeah. channel for them. Yeah. Um, but I think these companies are going to do it in a much smarter way with fewer resources and just be super focused on the type of partnership that will help them scale the, the most and um, a very more focused, prioritized list of partners versus a long tail of partners. Yeah. And I think what you'll see from that are some really exciting and successful uh, partner strategies. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's forcing us to be very on purpose on everything we're doing. And this is another example, which in the long run, all the other benefits that we've been talking about up to this point will, will take effect. So uh, really, really great insight. Lisa, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today and the wisdom that you shared on this really, really important topic. Uh, which Absolutely. Could help people Thanks survive. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. As we close out today's episode, we would like to thank purpleplanet.com for our music production and we thank you for listening we encourage you to get in touch with us with any requests for future topics any questions that you have or just to say hello we can be found at level213.com that's l-e-v-e-l -E and then the digits 213.com or you can always find us on linkedin as well have a great day
working on how much sales 